You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, friends, good morning again to you, and welcome back for another week in our most recent Lenten sermon series, a sermon series entitled Good News for Bad Christians. Good news for bad Christians. The reality that every single one of us in this room and watching online uh, is very, very uh, aware of is uh, Feeling like a bad Christian is something that happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. At one point or another, you're going to feel like you're not as devout as you used to be. You don't have as strong a belief as you used to have. You don't trust as much as you used to. But over the course of Lent, what we're doing in preparation for Easter is we're celebrating. Celebrating the really, really good news that God's reaction to my bad Christian behavior is not... Well, if he don't want to be with me, I don't want to be with him. It isn't a God who just sort of writes us off, does away with us, gets rid of us, doesn't give us a second chance. But a God who sometimes, beyond all reason, decides to run after us, pursue after us, and win us back. And this applies uh, to so many different forms of bad Christian behavior. Week one, we talked about how God pursues after us when we become judgy judgy towards that people group or that person over there or that person over there. Uh, Secondly, we talked about week two, we talked about how and what ways God reaches us when we've been disobedient, when we know exactly what God's been calling us to do. It's like, oh, I know what what God's asking of me. I have no intention of doing it. Uh, God, how does God react in those moments? How does God pursue us and win us back in those? Week three, we talked about uh, hypocrisy, easily the thing that people can't stand the most about church and yet the thing that every single one of us, if given time, are guilty of at one point or another. How does God reach us then? And so if you missed any of those, if this is your first time here, or first time tuning in online, you missed any of those, you can find any of them on our podcast or our uh, YouTube channel. Because today what we're going to do is we're going to shift. Uh, we're going to shift to yet another type of bad Christian behavior that uh, we fall into from time to time. Today what we're going to talk about uh, is the spiritual rut that we fall into of distrust. Distrust. These are the moments in your and my faith where instead of relying upon God or depending upon God or believing that God will eventually provide the thing is that you want, the thing that is that you need, instead of that, you go, mm, nah, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. I'll provide it for myself. I'll fix this situation. I'll just take that off of God's plate. God's got a very big plate. A lot of people throwing stuff up to him. I'll do this. You're welcome, right? I'll take control. We don't need to do any of that, right? And to start, what I want to say, I actually want to say something that's a little bit risky. I want to say something a little bit risky. Something that if my uh, first Sunday school teacher heard me say, she would uh, be very angry. When I was first presented with uh, faith, when I, was first, uh, when I first encountered uh, the Christian message and the Christian faith, when it came to this topic of trust and trusting God, for me, I don't know what your experience was, but when I first encountered faith, I was presented with a very, very black and white understanding of trust. You better trust God 
or your life is going to be in shambles. You better trust God at all times with all things in every chapter of your life or nothing but doom, nothing but darkness, nothing but pain and suffering. One day you're going to wake up listening, nickelback music, and it's all going to be over. Wound up like this. However, however, what I have found is that's actually not the case. It's actually not the case. What I have found actually is that if you're presented with an opportunity to trust God, maybe it's something family related, maybe it's something financial related, maybe it's something health related, and you don't, oftentimes, it still works out, at least on the surface, right? Definitely what doesn't happen when you distrust God is, at least to date, I've not been struck down with lightning. I've not been sort of met with this immediate spiritual circumstance or consequence for my distrustfulness. It's been fine. So what gives? What am I not seeing? What are we not seeing? If there's no like immediate consequence, then like what, like why, why not just continue to trust in myself, trust in my own abilities, trust in my own understanding, trust in my own plan? I'll give you two, I'll give you two reactions, two answers to that question that I have found to be true in my own life. The first of which is this. The first reason why every single day I try really, really hard, and I'm definitely not successful at it 100% of the time, but why I try to trust God over myself is because fine, a life that is fine, is not good enough. Fine isn't good enough for me. Fine is a, a great adjective uh, to describe like DC movies versus Marvel movies. <laughs> They're fine. They're fine. That's why they make Batman over and over and over again. They got no other substance. Anyway, sorry. Fine is a great description for those. It is not something I want to describe my life. That I lived a fine life. And I could. I very well could. If I left this building and I decided for the rest of my life I'm only going to trust my own gut, my own instincts, my own abilities, my own understanding, it would probably pan out fine. I'd probably make more money than I do making right now. I'd probably end up with a bigger house, more cars, and all those various things. But I know myself well enough that at the end of my life, I would be haunted with this question. What if there was more? What if God had more in store? What if God had all these plans, all these things that God wanted to not just give to me for my own sake, but like do through me for the sake of the world? And I possessed not even an ounce of trust to even hear him out. Fine might be fine for you. It's not, it's not good enough for me. And that's a best-case scenario. <laughs> that's actually a best-case scenario. Here's my second rationale as to why I really, really try really, really hard to trust God over myself. It's because not only is fine not good enough, sometimes fine is hell in disguise. Sometimes a fine life is hell in disguise. What I mean by that is, uh, I don't know about you, but when I 
the more and more and more I trust only in myself, only in my own abilities, only in my own understanding, this is what happens. The more highly I start thinking of myself. Especially when it works. I'm like, <laughs> don't need nobody's help. Don't need nobody's advice. Like, I got this. Let's go. And what happens is every time I do that over and over and over again, it feeds a hellish part of me. It feeds my ego. It feeds my pride. It feeds my selfishness. It feeds all of the things that run very counter to the person I'm trying to become in Jesus. And if I'm not careful, I'll wake up one day and I'll realize that I've been choosing my own will, my trusting my own self so much so that now I'm beginning to harm myself and the people around me. To be clear, a situation not too dissimilar from the very one we just heard a moment ago in our scripture passage for today. So, without further ado, if you have your, scripture, if you have your uh, Bibles handy, if you've got them uh, here in-house, or if you're tuning in online and you want to uh, go back to Genesis chapter 16, that's what we're going to be camped out for today. I'm going to start by giving you just a quick summary of what Megan just read. Uh, this story uh, really involves three characters, uh, three characters, the first of which are Abram and Sarah, Abram and Sarah. The story starts with, this is a, a married couple who is struggling. They're struggling to conceive. They're struggling to have a child. And so what Sarah decides to do is she takes her servant, Hagar, brings Hagar to Abram and says, go and perform the things, and then I'll have a child through Hagar. It'll be great. And it works. However... What then begins to happen is Sarah begins to get resentful, starts getting jealous of Hagar. It gets so bad that she eventually kicks this powerless woman out into the wilderness to fend for her own, essentially damning her to death. Now, the beautiful part about that story, the redeeming part of that story, is that it's not, that it's not Abram, it's God. God goes and saves Hagar. God goes and provides for Hagar. God actually turns Hagar into a great and mighty nation. But circling back to the story, like, what the heck is going on? Like, why did this even happen in the first place? Like, Sarah, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Why did this even happen? And to back up in the story, getting a little bit more context will help us understand the answers to that question. So in Genesis chapter 12, so if you back up a handful of verses, what you'll find is that in Genesis chapter 12, many years earlier, God made a promise to Abram. God made a really, really big promise to Abram that one day Abram and Sarah would give birth to kids who get more kids and more kids and more kids, just a bunch of rabbits everywhere that sort of make a, eventually make this mighty, mighty great nation. So in the aftermath of this promise that they got from God, they're feeling really good. Abram and Sarah are like, this is awesome. I can't wait. I'm going to name them Kyle and Kylea, and I'm going to name them all sorts. Like, they're, having so, they're so excited. And then time goes on. And then more time goes on. And then more time goes on. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, Abram is at least 85 years old. Nearing 90. And they got this many kids. Not a one. So Sarah says, okay, forget that. 
I'll fix this issue myself. I'll take matters into my own hands. And this is hardly, hardly the only time in the Bible where the people of God do that, right? Just a couple of which that I've read recently is in 1 Samuel, Saul does this. In 1 Samuel 15, God, uh, Saul does this. He doesn't trust God. He does the sacrifice instead, doesn't wait, does it himself. Moses does this. The big heroic Moses does this in Numbers chapter 20. Doesn't trust, doesn't wait, doesn't listen for God, strikes the rock, trusts himself, trusts his own abilities. This happens over and over and over again throughout the course of the Bible. And so to me, that says two things. Two things. Number one, when it happens to you, it's normal. Okay? Take a big, deep breath, a big sigh of relief. When, not if, when you struggle to trust God, with the small, medium, and big things in your life. It's normal. It happens. It happens to the most heroic, saintly, faithful people in Scripture. But the other thing that that says to me, that this story says to me and these countless other stories say to me and our collective experience, is that if it is so common, if it does happen to all of us, then there seems to be some common reasons, some common rationale, some common causes for why we struggle to trust God at times. Here's the short list of what I came up with, the first of which you encountered in this story we just heard. The very first reason why I struggle to trust God often is because I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience. God can tell me something, or I can feel like something is going to happen. I might have like been in church or reading scripture or had some sort of spiritual experience where I felt like the message was conveyed to me that it's going to be okay. This thing that I'm worried about, this thing that I'm preoccupied with, it's going to be, God's going to provide that. God's going to clear that up. God's going to fix that. And then 14 minutes later, I'm like, so like at church you said it, and I've eaten lunch, and it's still not here. So like if you want to just sort of, can we pencil in the 14th? Can we pencil, like, can we pencil in a time where you're going to plan to do that? Like what's going to happen? Lack of patience. Almost every single person in this room, you know the experience of really wanting something, really needing something. And the longer the time went on, the more you were tempted to think, maybe I heard him wrong. Maybe God didn't say that. Maybe I was just hopped up on Cheetos, and like, I don't know, I was like having a weird day, and I felt like I had this spiritual, maybe it wasn't anything, and maybe I just made it up. Maybe for you, that was waiting for a partner. It's waiting for a spouse. It's waiting for someone uh, to marry. That is something that you've had to wait for. Maybe for you, it's having kids. It's something that's it's like the story. It's something that's a struggle for you, that's been a, a situation of deep, deep pain. Maybe for you, it's job-related. You've been really unhappy in your job, waiting, and you feel like God's going to resolve it. God's going to provide something else. And you feel like you've heard that and felt that in your heart, but it still hasn't happened yet. Or maybe for you, it's a family issue. There's a family dynamic or a conflict going on that you're like, gosh, God, if you could just soften their heart, we could reconcile and have a good relationship again. And the longer time went on, the more tempted you were to say, bump that, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do it. And here's what every single one of us, when in that situation, have to grapple with. That you have two choices. Two choices. You have two choices when you find yourself in that place where you're lacking the patience to wait on God, uh, to wait or to trust in God. 
that in those moments, you can either have it now or you can have it when it's right. That's the choice. You can have it now or you can have it when it's right. And what I mean by that is if you are someone who's like, nope, I'd rather not trust in God, I'd rather not wait on God, I'd rather not lay, await and lean and depend upon God, I'd rather have it now, you just need to be ready for the strong possibility that it or you may not be ready yet. Or that you may, by doing so, be choosing something that actually is a settling, you're settling for something less than what God had planned or intended for you or for us. So the first culprit uh, is a lack of patience. That's one of the biggest reasons why I struggle to trust God at times. I think we do as well. We're going to get increasingly more and more honest uh, as the morning goes on. You ready? So reason number two, reason number two why sometimes it's such a hard, uh, uh, we have such a hard time struggling and, and trusting and believing and depending upon God is because oftentimes you don't have to. Not only do you lack the patience, most of the time you don't have to. Most people, most of us in this room and who are tuning in online, who are listening to this, you've been blessed beyond measure. You've been blessed beyond measure. You've been blessed with ample resources, privileges, so many things. And the trap that happens is oftentimes the more you have, the less you like just very simply even need to even look to God or trust in God for something because most of the time, you have everything you need to provide it for yourself. I read a stat earlier this week that was like boggling, like mind-boggling to me. It said this. It said that, uh, did you know that those who earn more than $120,000, so that, that might be you, that might not be you, you might make more than that, I don't know. But like, that's, I think we can all agree that's not a huge number. Those who earn more than $120,000 are in the top 10% globally. You're in the top 10% of the wealthiest people on earth. Another, that same article said this. It said if you own a house or you have two cars, you're easily, easily in the top 20%, wealthiest people in the world. You don't have a ton of at least material needs that you can't provide on your own. Now, that's just one example. That's one example. That's just materials. That's just wealth. Some of you, in addition to material wealth, uh, it's, been, it's relational wealth. You haven't experienced a lot of death and disease in your family. You haven't experienced a lot of loss, uh, marriage, and then having kids. All of that came really easy to you. It was just, there was no waiting around. It just sort of happened. It happened one after the other, and it was just very, very easy. You didn't have to pray, really. You didn't have to worry about it. It just came. Maybe for you, it's job-related. You came right out of school, landed a dream job, ran right up the career ladder, and you've enjoyed every minute of it. You feel fulfilled in it, and you make a good living off of it. You've never had to question it. You've never had to worry about it. You've never been angry about it. And to be super clear about something, I'm not saying to feel guilty about those things. Please, for the love of God, don't. But here's one of the things I know to be true. Here's one of the things I know to be true about life and faith. It's a basic equation. Less hardship typically equals an increased difficulty in trusting God. At least in my experience, the areas of my life where I've not possessed a ton of hardship, there's some areas I have and there's some areas I haven't. And the areas where I've not possessed a lot of hardship, it's harder to trust God with those. Why? 
because it's just come so naturally. I've taken every bit of it for granted all the time. I've never had to actually pray. I've never had to come to church and say, Jesus, I'm so stressed out about this. I've never even thought about it. It never ran across my mind. And so the areas of your life, this is just something, a principle to apply. The areas of your life where you experience less hardship, it's going to be harder to trust God with those areas. Because most of the time you can provide it for yourself. You can fix it for yourself. You always have. The third one is this. So he said lack of patience. We said you don't have to trust. And the third one is this. So again, we're getting, <laughs> we're getting increasingly honest. Um, the third reason why I struggle to trust God at times is because in that moment, in that moment, I want the thing more than I want Jesus. Now, that's real honest. That's real honest. In that moment, maybe in my moment of weakness or my moment of fatigue or my moment of anger or whatever, I want the thing more than I want Jesus. Today, we're going to uh, play another uh, week in our uh, game show of Kyle's Idols. Kyle's Idols. Um, and I'm going to give you a breakdown of what have been uh, easily my biggest idols by decade over the course of the last several years. So here are mine. Uh, yours might be different. They might be similar. Uh, they might be slightly different. But here are mine. When I was a teenager, the biggest thing that hurt, hindered, obstructed my ability to trust God was my desire for belonging. Good God, I would do anything to belong. I just wanted to stop feeling so alone. I wanted to stop feeling so insecure. I just wanted someone to accept me and want to be around me. And so sometimes that didn't hurt my relationship with God, and sometimes I wanted that more than Jesus. Many times as a teenager, as a young kid, I wanted that more than I wanted this Jesus. It shifted. In my 20s, uh, I found myself battling something else. In my 20s, it was, my, it was a desire for family. It was a desire for a spouse. It was a desire for kids. It was a desire to have all these things that I've always dreamt of come true. And there were moments, more than I care to admit, where I wanted that. I possessed way more devotion to that than I did my faith. I thought about that more. I obsessed about it more than I ever gave to Jesus. In my 30s, it's shifted again. It's 30s, it's, in my 30s, it's shifted again. Now that those things have happened, I've found a new idol creep into my life, which is a desire to make an impact. One of the things, if you sit around me long enough, like I talk about this, like I have this, I don't know if it's a fear or it's a passion or maybe it's both, but like I just refuse to waste my life. Refuse. I want it to mean something. I want it to do something. I want it to help people. I want it to make an impact. I want it to do something that helps Jesus in this work of bringing the kingdom to earth. And sometimes I want that more than I want the one I'm doing it for. And here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. None of those things are bad, are they? Those are all beautiful, wonderful, great things. When they become bad is when our desire for them causes us to say, you know what? I'd rather go around God to get them than go with God to get them. You hear the difference? So sometimes we want things more than we want Jesus. Now, so here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. 
With the remainder of our time, I feel like sometimes I preach like a doctor uh, does medicine. Like first I want to do the diagnosis, okay? Now we see the problems, we see the issues, we see all the symptoms and such. Now let's talk remedies. Let's talk remedies. So what the heck do you do with all that? Like how do you counteract that? How do you counterbalance that? And so how, what I want to do with the remainder of our time today is I want to answer two questions. I want to start to answer two questions. The first question is why we should trust God more than we typically do. Why we should. Why? Why? And then secondly is how. Like on the ground, practical training, how the heck do you even do that? Other than just sort of going, I trust you. Like is that it? Like is there more to that? There is more to that. There is more to that. Let's start with why. Let's start with why. And scripture is actually super clear about this. But these three things I want to share with you as reminders. Because these three things are spelled out in scripture. They're spelled out numerous times over again in a whole bunch of different ways. And yet, whenever I'm being asked or invited to trust in God, I forget all of them. So the first of which is this. The first of which is this. The first thing that we forget that we would do well to remember whenever you're being invited to trust God with something, something big, something medium, something small, something important, something insignificant, is that God is acutely aware of your needs. In fact, I would argue God is more aware of your needs than you are. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he says this, he says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. I translate that to say like Jesus knows what I need even before I know what I need. That's really, really comforting. That's really, really good news. And something I always forget. I get caught up in this headspace sometimes where I'm like, I don't think God even knows like, how anxious I am and how upset I am and how angry I am. And God's like, sweet Lord. I knew before you did. So that's the first thing we do well to remember. The second, which, uh, second of which is this. The second thing we would do really, really well to remember is that God cares, God cares about your desires. God cares about your desires. Psalm 37 says it very, very plainly. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord and he will give you what your heart asks. God cares about your dreams. God cares about your passions. If God made you, there's a good chance God probably put them in you to begin with. Right? Right? But again, sometimes we forget this too. We're like, no, God is just this sort of like tyrannical, sort of hierarchical ruler. He just wants obedience from me. He doesn't care what I want or care what I like. He just wants me to fall in line and obey. The scripture says that God does care and might have even burst them, probably put them in you. The third thing, and you all know this to be true as well, the third thing we would do well to remember that we always forget is that God's plans are good. They're good. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. You've read this every time you've ever felt anxious, if you've spent any time in church. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. We forget this too. Especially those of you who get obsessive about the future. You know who you are. You live in the future. You spend very little time in the present. You're always out there like, what if this happens? And what if this happens? Well, if that happens, then I'm going to react this way. Ooh, but then scenario B, item section 2.2 is this. And so I have to be prepared in that situation as well. Okay, I think I've got all 4,000 scenarios covered. <laughs> Babe, bring the whiteboard. I just found another one. I found another one. God's plans 
are good. I'm going to go a step further and say, and they're way better than anything you can concoct. So the very first thing of that, so we've, now we're shifting to the how. How do you actually, like on the ground, practically put your trust, put more trust in God? The first of which is just to remember these things. Find a way to read them, reread them. Sometimes you got to read them daily. Sometimes you got to read them hourly. But find a way to get them in your psyche all the time. You want to know how else? You want to know how else? Number one, so the other thing you can do on the ground, how to trust God, how to feed more uh, trust and starve more of the distrust uh, sort of abilities in you. The first of which is just be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of who, who, and which voices you surround yourself with. Be aware, be conscious of the, the friendships and the people at work and the people you spend a lot of time with. Be super mindful about what social media accounts you follow. You troll all the time when you're at night and you're just sort of like, gosh, I wish I had their life and I wish I just had all of their things. And how in the world does she look like that Monday morning? <sighs> Be mindful of your surroundings. Why? Why? Because let's just be real honest. We're going to be real honest. You ready? It's really hard to be around people who currently have what you hope to have. Isn't it? That's just real. That's just honest. It's really hard to be around people, to be consciously made aware of something another person has. It could be someone you love, someone whose friendship you really, really cherish. But friends, for the sake of A, not waking up one day and hating them, and B, feeding your ability to trust God, and not just waking up one day and saying, screw it, I want what they have. I don't care if I have to settle for like plan C version of what I actually wanted. I'd rather have that. Be mindful of your surroundings. Be mindful of the voices that are constantly circulating in your psyche. The second one is this. The second practical thing you can do is be careful about living off of affirmation. Be careful about constantly seeking reaffirmation. I do this all the time, all the time. When God, when I feel like I'm in worship or I'm reading something or I've had this, just maybe just listen to music, I'm out in the world, and I feel like God says something to me and it calms a fear in me, it calms an insecurity in me, an anxiety in me that everything, this thing I'm worried about is going to work out okay. Easily. Two days later, I find myself asking for other people to affirm the very thing that I thought that I heard two days ago, right? So again, go back to the example of college. So in college, when I had this sort of big dream for family and such, all of my roommates that I graduated with in my senior year of college, all of them were engaged before they got married. <laughs> so cute. Anyway, I constantly found myself, I felt like this was always going to be something. I knew, I, I believed that, and I trusted that God was going to provide eventually my, my dream and my desire, my passion for a family. But at the same time, I constantly found myself like asking people out and about, strangers, good friends. So like you find me marryable, right? <laughs> Any issues in this region? Any to be aware of? Anything that could help? Just be careful, be careful about living off affirmation because here's what I found to be true. If you live off affirmation, you'll die when it stops. Receive it when it comes. Be grateful for it when it comes. But if you find yourself now like starting to like 
stew up your own affirmation, just be careful. Because if you live off of it, you'll die when it stops. The third and final practice I have for you to consider is this. Uh, If you find yourself in a place where you're trying to trust God more, you're trying to trust God with more areas of your life, the third piece of practical advice I can give you is keep giving it back. Keep handing it back. Every single one of us, uh, this is my Lord of the Rings uh, sort of fanfare situation. You're going to have to endure it. But I believe every single one of us has an inner golem. Every single one of us, I don't care who you are, you can be the saintliest, holiest person I know, every single one of us has got one of those things living inside of us. And what that means is you will entrust your precious to God, and then when God's not looking, you take it back. This looks like you trusting, entrusting something to God in a quiet moment of prayer, and then three hours later, obsessing over it. I know God said that eventually I'd have a new job, but if I submit a resume here and I have this conversation here and I go to this network opportunity here, you see what I mean? See what I mean? And here's what I want you, here's the word of encouragement I have for you. That, that act does not make you a bad Christian. That actually just makes you human. That makes you normal. Every single one of us have done something where we've entrusted something to God and gone, yeah, but like real quick, can I have it back just for like a quick second? I just wanted to look at it real quick, 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 quick. Like we've all done that. We've all done that. When we fail is when we're made aware of it and then we refuse to give it back. And so for me, I'm just going to be super, super practical and blunt, what it looks like for me, maybe other people have really fancy ways where they write it down on a sheet of paper and they like submit it somewhere or something like that. Maybe that's what they do. But for me, this is what it looks like. When I am made aware that I've taken something back from God that I have entrusted to God, what I do is I go for a walk and I say something like this to Jesus. I say, Jesus, I don't know why. I don't know why. It is so unbelievably hard for me to trust you with this but it is. I wish it weren't, but I cannot seem to get to a place where I trust you with this thing with my job, this thing with my kids, this thing with my family, this thing going on with my health. I just can't get there. And so against my will, I'm going to try to give it back to you. I can't promise I'm not going to take it back, but I promise Jesus I'm trying my best to give it to you. Amen. And then you know what I do? I do that same prayer about 47 more times. <laughs> and then at some point, it gets easier. I don't know when it'll be for you. But at some point, it does get easier. And it gets more joyful, too. Which leads to how I want to close. Speaking of uh, social media and accounts you should or shouldn't follow, this is a good one. We'll share it on uh, social media, our social media later, so if you uh, like this page, you can uh, like it. You can follow them and look at these graphics yourself. I came across this graphic uh, last about two weeks ago, or about a week ago, I can't remember, and it has been living rent-free in my brain ever since. Tim Urban did this. Uh, Tim Urban did this sort of artistic depiction, 
And it's the whole gist of it is it's trying to help us understand, help all of us see the infinite possibilities of our life, the infinite possibilities of our life. So you look on the left-hand side in the past, you had all kinds of different possibilities that could take you up, that could take you down, and then the green is the one you traveled. It's the one you traveled, okay? And at the middle, he makes this distinction where he says, and starting today, the same is true. Starting today, there, when you leave this building today, there are infinite possibilities for where your life could go. You can go up, down, forward, backward, and it probably will go all of those directions, by the way. I think why this image stuck with me so much is because I realized that if from this moment forward I only choose to trust in myself, I'll only be guaranteed a mediocre life. I'll probably travel somewhere right in the middle, somewhere right there in the, in the middle zone. Again, like I said earlier, if I trust only myself, I'll have a fine life. I'll be fine. But fine is not good enough for me. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.